Welcome to Comic Book Keepers, where we talk about comic book characters, their history, and their impact on our lives. I'm Lance. And I'm Jeremy. And today, we are going to be talking about Ant-Man and the Wasp Quantum Mania. Oh, man. We saw this film yesterday. We did. And uh, I was blown away. Let's start off even by just saying, Chris isn't going to be joining us today. He had some family obligations. And so, Jeremy, of course, is our good friend, came in to join us. We actually saw the film together and it was an absolute blast. So uh, initial thoughts, Jeremy, what what do you think of the film? I, I had so much fun. I think we, we, you know, I don't want to, I don't want to steal your thunder, but yeah, we, we definitely had a lot of fun with this movie. Um, I went in with sort of mid-level expectations. Like I wasn't, I wasn't letting the critic scores get me down per se. Um, definitely there was a lot of buzz around it, you know, coming out as like a rotten score and everything and having the, the lowest score since Eternals. But as you always make fun of me about, and as I always talk about, I love the Eternals. So or yes. maybe love's a strong word, but I really like the Eternals. So, uh, and I know I'm in a minority there, but anyway, so I, I was just looking forward to checking out the film. I mean, it's Paul Rudd. He's a fun guy, you know, Michael Douglas, Michelle Pfeiffer, like how I thought to myself, how bad could it be? And so I went in with, you know, expecting like a five or a six. Right. Um, and I left, more than pleasantly surprised um you know fantastic humor really cool action uh and just the the lore implications um around kang around all the stuff that we saw um and oh by the way spoiler warning i don't know if we shouted that already but we're probably gonna be talking about some sensitive stuff so big spoiler review here this is just general thoughts area but yeah moving forward big spoilers if you have not seen the film and do not want anything ruined pause Go watch the film. Come back. Listen. Yeah. Okay. But yeah, general thoughts. A lot of fun. Uh, Met greatly exceeded my expectations. And it was probably uh, one of the most fun Marvel films I've been to in years, years and years, I think. Yeah. I, I went in the same way. The critic scores and just general word of mouth that was kind of going around at the time was that it didn't have the same type of humor feel as the other Ant-Man movies, but knowing, understanding who Kang is, it, it, I knew it wasn't probably going to be the ha ha funny movie, but honestly, I probably laughed harder in this one than I did in either of the other two Ant-Man films. The, I, I think that a lot of people maybe were missing out on having his, his general like buddy, like group, like it was missing out on having Michael Pena doing his his recap of things, and maybe that's what a lot of people were missing out on. Mm-hmm. But the humor hit very strong for me in this movie. I felt like I was laughing quite a bit. Like I was laughing at the moments I should have been, and yeah. I was also very stressed about characters and moments that I should have been. Yeah. So that that kind of felt like a disconnect between like word of mouth was that it wasn't as funny. It is. It's, it's a funny movie. It's really good. It's, it's funny, but to your point, like not to the detriment of establishing the new villain, which I think was a concern. A lot of people had was that putting Kang in an Ant-Man film would be like putting gore in Thor love and thunder. Yeah. (laughs) Um, a Taika film. And that's not what happens at all. Um, you know, Kang definitely, and, and we'll, we can we can start getting into this, I guess, you know, like in terms of, you know, what really stood out in terms of his characterization, and everything like Jonathan Majors does a fantastic job as Kang. And he's an extremely menacing character. 
and he definitely sets himself up as a threat. And the very interesting thing, of course, with Kang is that it's not just about one Kang. No, <laughs> it's about all the Kangs, right? It's about Kang as an entity. It's about Kang as a force and Kang as a, a presence across the multiverse. Um, and so I definitely don't think that that threat and that introduction was impeded at all by no. being in this movie. I think it was really well done. They even wrote it into the film, kind of identifying that that fear that audiences might have had with it being him being introduced in an Ant-Man movie. Because it's like, wait, how is Ant-Man going to stand up against someone like Kang? And Kang straight up says, you're out of your league. Like it, It's openly known that there's no way that Scott Lang, Ant-Man, alone is going to serve any threat against Kang, someone that has seen the ends of time, someone that has technology far beyond anything that Hank could have created. And you have this character that openly understands the limitations of our hero in the film, which is really scary because it's not, I think I'm stronger than you. It's no, I know I am stronger than you. And I've probably killed a lot of versions of you before. Yeah. Yeah. I, I actually really liked that part, you know, when, when Kang first kind of meets him and he's saying like, are you the one with the hammer or whatever? And he's like, oh no, that's Thor. Uh, and just sort of saying, you know, that's, you know, we get mixed up a lot of the times, et cetera. Like it, it was kind of like a funny moment, but at the same time he says, you know, oh, I, I've killed, you know, I've killed Thor's before, you know, I've killed Avengers before uh, and that sort of thing. So yeah, it was a really cool moment. Jonathan Majors crushes this role. We knew he was going to be good considering the fact we saw him as he who remains in the end of Loki, but very different personality of Kang in this film. It is much more of the conqueror mentality. I feel like this Kang is, is our Kang prime. And for those that have read the comics, understand that this is the Kang that poses the greatest threat um, but is also the one that is potentially stopping even worse things from coming along the line. And that comes into play in the end credit scene, which we'll talk about a little bit further down the line. But just as, as a, an introduction to a new villain in the MCU, I think they were reserved, but then also showed you what you needed to see so far for this character. Yeah, absolutely. I think they, yeah, they didn't, they didn't reveal too much of their hand. And it's interesting because on the one hand, like seeing Kang in action after he gets his Raymond's back, after he gets his armor back, right? Um, there's definitely elements of it that are intimidating, but you don't necessarily like right off the bat, just based on what he can do, appreciate the full extent of his threat and his power but by the end of the movie, right, like you have a much better understanding. And in fact, kind of going back to what you were talking about with like the narrator approach, like, you know, Paul, uh, Paul Rudd is kind of thinking to himself, right? Like, you know, Ant-Man's thinking to himself, like, wait, I took care of him, right? Like, I defeated him. Yeah, that's not a problem. Or did I ruin everything? Right. Like, 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 and that begins to kind of set in on the viewer as well, right? To really understand, like, no, 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 like. 
This threat is so far beyond just getting lucky with one version of Kang, which again, to your earlier point, that's exactly what happened. They got lucky. They just got, you know, these different circumstances all lined up for them to be able to inflict some sort of dent in Kang's broader plan. But, you know, there's no way that in a stand-up fight they were going to stand any sort of chance. Um, and yeah, it's just, it, it really does sink in by the end of the film, just how serious this, this villain is. And just because we are focusing on Kang's component in this film right now, we also have to look at his like character ending. And so when he is defeated and it's and it showing that um, he's kind of sucked into that orb that powers his ship that is allow that allows him to travel the multiverse. In that moment, he's it it shows like half his body is in, and then it it just slowly he dissipates basically, and maybe a lot of people think, oh, they defeated him, he's gone, that character's done for, because we also see a whole bunch of other kings, so it's kind of like, oh, that king's done, but oh no, there's all these other kings that we have to deal with. The reality is, is that king is very much still around, and. My buddy Mash from Hops Geek News pointed something out that I think is honestly really intelligent and is a good possibility of something that they'll do with that. In the fact that when Scott is going inside of that orb in order to shrink it back down to then give it to Kang, it's in this realm where all these different possibilities can occur. So Mash introduced the idea of in this time now where Kang has been sucked in this world. He is going to run through every single possibility of his next battle with the other Kangs, with the other Avengers, going up against like an innumerable amount of of odds. And he can fight himself, get stronger, get better, and then just be prepared to come back when everyone thinks he's gone. This character is like, I, I strongly believe this character is coming back and will destroy the Council of Kangs. I think he wipes them all out. Right. Right. Which is, again, kind of like in line with some of the comic book narratives. And and this was something that we were talking to our friend about because we went with another friend as well to see the movie um, who didn't enjoy it as much. And that's fine. Everybody is allowed to to feel a way that they feel about watching a movie. Um, and, you know, as part of that conversation, we were just sort of reflecting on how the MCU as a whole is really starting to shift more towards like actual comic runs and more closely, like more closely representative of comic creators and writers and their, their versions of the story. Right. So like the fantastic four film we've heard is going to borrow heavily out of the Hickman run. Like the incursions also came from the Hickman Avengers run. Like there are big elements of these various, you know, stories that are coming straight off of the pages of comic books. Um, or at least a lot more closely than maybe the previous phases had. Um, and so, yeah, I think it's it's really cool to see how they're going to approach the, the concept of Kang Prime and the Council of Kangs. And, you know, it, it makes me even more excited for, you know, the potentialities of, you know, because if, if there's a Fantastic Four movie, there has to be a Doctor Doom, right? Yes. And so then having Doom and Kang butting heads like what that all looks like like it's just it makes me super excited for the future of comic uh, of mcu because 
you know, seeing them more closely aligned to the, the narratives means that there's more for comic readers to kind of hold on to and, and look forward to from the from what they've read. This is the most comic book movie Marvel has put out in a very, very long time. And I understand why critics might not have enjoyed it because this was a movie that was made for comic book geeks and nerds like us. It dove into the weirdness that you get from reading a comic. If you were to take this film and were to do basically a panel by panel adaptation, this would be one of the greatest Ant-Man comics that I think I would have ever read and would have been an, an incredible Kang story. Like it, it, it just fits. And, but when you take that concept that on paper in a comic that would, that would work so well, sometimes it's hard to be digestible to general audiences. Another thing that Kang said during the movie that stood out to me was in the city where he was about to get out of the quantum realm. He like all those rings start spinning around that palace and Kang specifically tells them to stop Ant-Man from destroying the rings. And that word particularly is important because I think that that is directly connected to Shang-Chi's 10 rings. They like visually very similar. If you go back and watch the trailer color scheme, very similar. And the end credit scene of Shang-Chi was that there was a beacon coming from those rings, which I guarantee is something connected to the quantum realm, whether that's Kang trying to connect, connect to those rings in order to get out or trying to send a help beacon that someone will go there in and help him because it's clearly not from space. Like they said, so it's the other direction. Yeah. I, and there's this really interesting dynamic that's happening right now where so many components that people don't think are connected in this new saga that clearly are going to come to a head. Right. And I, I think we're going to get a lot of blown minds at some point. Yeah. I, I think it's, yeah, there, there were a lot of like really important bricks and nuggets and, you know, kind of like breadcrumbs that were left kind of um, behind in this movie. Um, and I did want to add too, like, and we've been talking a lot about Kang, um, but just to kind of like pan out a little bit and talk a little bit more about some of the other characters, I think, you know, honestly, one of the strongest elements of this whole film was the, the ensemble cast. Um, yes. You know, the, you know, uh, Michelle Pfeiffer and Michael Douglas just knocked it out of the park. Crushed it. Crushed it. Standouts. Absolutely stellar performances from both of them. Catherine Newton, you know, we've been hearing, again, also some kind of like mixed bag uh, reviews on her acting. I thought she did fine. Like, was it like super rich or in-depth or anything like that? No, but I think she did a great job. And honestly, I think I, I appreciated a lot of the focus on her because, you know, we've been talking a lot about setting up young Avengers, right? So um, I think just kind of introducing this character and, you know, how she's going to play into the, the to building up the young Avengers, because we know further down in phase six, right. Uh, that Or phase five end of phase five into phase six, like we're going to have the King dynasty. Um, and if we are staying close to comic storylines, we know that the young Avengers are instrumental in 
battling against Kang and doing doing some heavy lifting um, as part of that narrative. So I think, you know, really everybody else in the ensemble cast was great. And Corey Stoll, who plays Darren, uh, he was also on House of Cards. He is hilarious as Modoc. Like, I thought he did a really great job with Modoc. A lot, of, you know, I've I've heard some folks who are kind of frustrated with how they treated Modoc in the film, but I think if you if you consider Modoc as equal parts intimidating, scary, threatening, and also comedic relief, right? Like there are definitely elements of that whenever Modoc appears in the comics. He did a fantastic job with that. Sure, it leaned a little bit more into the comedy for that character specifically, but he probably has like one of my favorite scenes in recent history. And MC, I'm not going to spoil it here because it's just it's just great. And the whole theater was just totally cracking up. Um, but yeah, I, I think he did a really good job as well. So the rest of the cast did great. Yeah. Modoc was one of those characters when I saw him in the trailer and I was like, I don't think this is going to work. You seeing the unmasked version where you just see his face. I was like, that looks horrible. We're, we're talking like George Lopez spy kids film level of CGI. But in the context of the film, it worked. It, it made sense why he looked the way he did. And they leaned into the weird aspect of it. And when he wore the mask was far more threatening than I thought he was going to. They did a really good job with showing weaponry with his kind of loss in sanity being in this in this place for so long and being like just having his body like tortured essentially and morphed into this new thing and having to serve Kang it 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 just worked on all levels for me when he was trying to be intimidating he seemed intimidating to me when he was going to be funny he was hilarious i couldn't get enough of modok i want more modok uh, whether that's somehow this version or another version of Modoc, I want more because it works perfectly for me. And I love the fact that having Cassie, who was terrified of this bee man in her room when she was six years old, now goes against him in a fight in this in, in the trilogy. That is very good bookending. Ensemble cast was fantastic. Even Bill Murray's uh, little like cameo bit worked really well for me. Mm-hmm. Uh, another thing I wanted to point out was just how like the, the feel of this film was very different in the fact that I felt very like star Wars vibes from it with, with the introduction of all of, like the various races and characters that you would get. Yeah. And like very much in the cantina. Thank you. I That's literally, literally what I was thinking about when they walk into the bar, um, the bar that that Janet takes them to um, to meet Lord Kyler or or, um, or Bill Murray's character, I immediately thought of the cantina, like all the various races that are there, um, the mechanic that they have in place in terms of like understanding all of them. I thought was really clever. I loved the transition, um, and yeah, it, it definitely felt very Star Wars, um, not just with the races like the race of characters, but also just the diversity of the environments and like, just like the color and the, you know, diverse aesthetics uh, of the quantum realm, right? Like I'm really invested in the quantum realm. Like I want to see more of the quantum realm. Like I want, you know, I, you know, so I I think that that speaks to 
the world building that was done in this place. Um, and yeah, I, I, I loved all of it. I love the aesthetics. I love the characters and the races and kind of like the struggle that they were trying to have against Kang in this place. Um, yeah, it was, it was awesome. I really liked it a lot. A lot of times when we're introduced to characters that have minor roles, I feel like they're very throwaway or like, I just don't care about many of them. I cared about a lot of the characters that they introduced in this film that we might not necessarily see again, but I, I immediately was like, yeah, I, I like, I feel like I connect with this character. They're very fun. Like that, that goop, that like pink goop monster I thought was hilarious. Um, the, the character, and I wish I knew his, his name, the one with the eye. Absalom. Absalom. Like that character, that character design for one, absolutely phenomenal. And, buildings that are alive and the, the the joke that you get about wait in your world the buildings are dead yeah your yours aren't alive yeah <laughs> yeah it, it's 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 really kind of striking you know the the there's a lot of things that are being unpacked in discovering that the quantum realm is what it is to begin with right because a big part of this is you know janet was in the quantum realm for 30 years. And a lot of her narrative that she shared with her family was that there was nothing there, right? That she survived, but that there was nothing there. And you, you, I, I guess the only, the only part that, or maybe the, the least believable part of the character dynamics in Quantumania is how non- flustered the rest of the family is with just how much Janet kept from them (laughs) because like, like she withheld, withheld the entire thing, the whole, the resistance, who she met, how she helped them, like the whole thing. Like this wasn't just like, Oh, I was down here and I met this guy and we had a little thing and you know, whatever it's like, no, it's like way bigger than that. Right. And so and I think for the sake of the narrative, they kind of have to say, okay, like, let's keep it moving. Like we can't really dwell on it and have everybody be bad at her and have her have to like do all that stuff. So I think that's probably like the least believable part of the, of like the character dynamics, but even still like, it's just, it's just really cool to dive into exploring this quantum realm where you assumed previously, everybody assumed there was nothing there. And in fact, it's quite the opposite. It's a very rich, full world with all these different races, all these different struggles. And yeah, it's just, it's just really cool to explore that. Yeah. I feel like we would be remiss if we didn't mention Paul Rudd's performance in this movie. I think he was very strong. I think both him and Evangeline Lilly did a great job uh, together. And just the the level of emotion that, that Paul gives in this this film was fantastic i was invested the entire time it was focused very much on the relationship between him and cassie and just the love that he has for her and his understanding that even though he didn't choose to be away from her during that time period the blip it's still there and it still affects her and rather than being a father that just tries to tell her how it is he he sympathizes with her and he doesn't try to like force her into coming, coming around to his thought process. He's just wants, he just wants to be there for her now. And, and I feel like that's a very strong 
like father daughter moment that I, I understand that things have happened that were out of my control, but you were still hurt. So it doesn't matter, but I'm going to be here for you because I love you. Yeah. And that it's just a very cool, powerful emotion that kind of flows throughout this film along with like the joke, the, the dad jokes and things that you make along the way. Yeah. But there's just this level of love that is, that just like is, is like emanating from him during the film. Yeah. Uh, do you think that you appreciate these movies more now as a, as a father to a daughter? hundred <laughs> percent. Right. <laughs> like the, the, the previous Ant-Man movies came out. You didn't have a daughter then, you know, nope. And now you do. So like I was thinking in that last scene, well, in a, in a kind of a climactic scene where Emin and the Wasp are working together, like in that core and there's all those various possibilities like that, you know, it, it, I feel like that was a perfect encapsulation of the film because there was, there was definitely comedy, right? There are all these different versions um, Baskin Robbins uh, of, of, of him in there. Yeah. Including, including uh, a version of him that was in his Baskin Robbins outfit because he's like, yeah, like I work there. Hello. I'm a professional adult. Why are you dressed up like that? Right. Um, which was really funny. But then it goes from that to a, a sense of, you know, defeatism and sadness because they, you know, they, something like they weren't, they didn't think they were going to be able to succeed. And then, there's a turn, right? And then all of the Ant-Mans are unified in one thing, and that's the love for their love for Cassie, their love for their do- their daughter. Um, and so, like, really, that that whole scene is incredibly well balanced and a great reflection, uh, I think, of of how Quantumania approached its content and its subject matter. Um, but yeah, I just thought I would ask because I thought, you know, yeah, of course, I'm, I'm like, of course, Lance will appreciate this more now because <laughs> he can he can relate to it. Yeah. And then speaking about balance, something that we talked about after the film was that in an Ant-Man movie, a severe lack of ants throughout the majority of it. But then the ending, which we see, it's just this horde of ants that come and basically save the day. It's, it's deus ex smucky nant. Uh, if you will. Oh, that's that. Wow, that's oh gosh! It literally came without with right now. I'm I'm sad that Chris isn't here to appreciate that because that that's great. Deus ex machina. Yep. Okay. Okay. Yep. I'm proud of it. But I I enjoyed the fact because maybe like ten minutes before that that culminating moment, I was just thinking there really are no ants in this film, which is surprising me. So rather than there being kind of this like through throughout ant involvement, it's just nothing, 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 huge amount. And for me, that balances out the story. For some, it might be like, oh, that's kind of like their their throwaway safe thing. I was like, to me, it made so much sense. Part of me was kind of like when, you know, when Hank is like, oh, yeah, they went through like a time dilation and they evolved by like thousands of years and like the blink of an eye or something. I was like, "Okay, that's pretty handy. (laughs) You know, that's kind of like, you know, like like you said, deus ex machina kind of thing. But I agree. I think that the the way the wave there and that was a cool moment for Hank, too. Like, I loved that scene so much. Like he's he's never looked. cool. No, never. He loves ants, man. What can he say? Um but anyway, so I, I just really enjoyed that. Um, and they gave him all of the swear words. Like Hank gets 
all of the swear words in this movie. I'm pretty sure. I think Cassie gets one, um, but fantastic. I mean, I think of all the performances, if I had to do top three, it's it's Majors as Kang, Douglas as Hank, and then, gosh, it's a tie for me between Michelle Pfeiffer and Paul Rudd. I think at third, but I think Michelle yeah. Pfeiffer probably probably just gets it out there. Um, but overall, again, the ensemble cast is great. The, the movie was great. I had a lot of fun with it. So we've talked about how much we enjoy the film. Are there anything, is there anything from the movie that you feel like was lacking? Anything that fell short for you? I don't know. Nothing's like standing out to me when I'm thinking back on it, that, that I might've wanted more or less of. Um, I think it was pretty balanced in the end. Um, I think if anything, you know, yeah, I mean, no, I think Kang touches on the multiverse really well, talks about the timelines and the broader threat that's coming. Um, yeah, I, I, I think it was pretty well balanced. There's not, nothing really that's jumping out. But if you have anything, maybe that'll spark spark me to agree. Yeah, <laughs> yeah just, just a couple like nitpicky things here. I think the pacing was off at certain points in the film, but understanding of how much they had to do, it makes sense that things like had to get moving. So at times I was like, oh, this is kind of weird that we're moving along so quickly, but it's something that's like a throwaway. It's like, yeah, sure. Like, I understand we have to do way too much in this movie. I get it. For a lot of the film, the beginning of the film, we don't even, we don't get Kang until what, like an hour and something into the I don't movie? know if it's that long. I think it's like 45 minutes. It's, it's pretty yeah, long. Yeah, it, it takes a while, but honestly, that's. They do, I will say what they do, I know this is like weaknesses, but I think what they do a really good job of, even though you have to wait a while to see him, they do a great job building up his presence and threat yeah. just by reference of him, right? Uh, it's, you know, he, he'll he be looking for you. He wants to find you. We have to hide from him, et cetera, et cetera. Because Thanos had the benefit of end scenes from phase one and stuff for a while, Right. Like yeah. we, that's when that started to get teased. And so you're like, oh man, there's this big bat out there hanging out. Thanos is coming, whatever. And kind of ramping it up like that. And this is it really for a Kang. Like that first 40 minutes or so, 45 minutes, however long it is. I don't know the timestamp, right? But like from, from when you officially see Kang, like in his actual like formal view um, and yeah. not his like stranded version, but like, you know, that is basically building up that threat. And then you get to learn even more about you know, what makes him so dangerous. So I, th I, I thought it was pretty well done. And then the only, rather than not having more Kang, but I, I thought that something else needed to happen to have a little bit more gravity to his character, because we saw him take out quite a few of like the newer, newer introduced characters, but it, it felt like, like Kang, if, if we're talking King prime would have, been vindictive and taken out one of the family members. I was totally expecting one of them, if not more, to be taken out during the film. And it, it just felt like he was just missing that, just missing that, that gut punch yeah. that I think Kang is known for in the comics. Yeah. I would agree with you there. Um, I think that absolutely like vaporizing Janet would have been, totally totally fair right um mm -hmm. and and definitely would have helped to like set him up as like oh this 
this guy's not just going to monologue and, you know, leave you to, to enjoy the rest of your day. No, he's going to kill somebody that you love. Although, um, I will say, you know, when, when he has uh, Cassie and, um, uh, and, and like, uh, com- you know, taken, um, you know, his threat to kill her in front of him and make him relive that moment over and over again, definitely had in itself, like that definitely was a very intimidating moment, a very threatening moment. Um, But like I mentioned, I think, I think my only, my only kind of downside or, or, you know, nitpick as well was that even though you see some of that strength with his suit and everything else, you don't, see you can't really appreciate his true strength as an individual as i mentioned earlier like you definitely understand his threat as a presence right as a multiversal presence etc but you don't really get a lot of his vastly superior technology um etc you do however get to appreciate some of his martial prowess uh, at the end yeah. And I'm like, that's Creed three right there. <laughs> yep. Oh, I'm like, that's some Creed three stuff going on. He's he's trading blows with um with that man there, and it's just like, oh my gosh, it's uh, yeah, it was it was, that was a cool scene. But overall, I think there could have been more done to be like, okay, yeah, Kang is no joke. Yeah. Yeah. The only other thing that I was kind of thinking about the whole time was, what did they do with like Janet having these powers coming out of the quantum realm because she she like heals ghost in in ant-man 2 and then there's no she doesn't like have any powers or something anymore that was just that's a very nitpicky thing like they'll probably just explain it away like she just got out of the quantum realm so she had some type of energy and was able to help out kind of thing but yeah that part i'm still like wait what happened to that whole thing uh but aside from that now that we've kind of discussed the film how do you feel like this is going to affect the mcu moving forward well, I think we we already gave the spoiler warning, so we have the um, a couple things that happen in the mid and the end credit scenes, right? So the mid scene, we see the Council of Kangs. Um, yep. We get to see uh, the Pharaoh, Ramatut, Amortis, and an as of yet defined third version um of Ken. Yeah, I didn't recognize didn't know that who one. that one was. Um and then, you know, basically Immortus talking about how he's gathered all the kings together. Um and so again, this is where you can kind of get an appreciation of like, oh my gosh, each of these guys is bad news all by themselves in their timeline and they're all getting together to um basically re- address the threat that is the heroes beginning to touch the multiverses. Um so the fact that the Avengers are beginning to and heroes are beginning to overlap and get into the multiverses is a problem. So you're like, oh, that's a problem. Um, so that's definitely going to lead into, again, Kang's broader presence and threat through the upcoming films. And then the closing scene was uh, very, uh, basically Loki season two trailer <laughs> uh, yeah. or teaser rather, because we get we see Loki um, at a you know, an old timey presentation with Victor timely, um, who, uh, Lance, if, if you could again, uh, inform us on who this is. Yeah. So this is another variant of Kang who went back in time during this time period and actually lived out his life. And rather than leaving, he 
just basically pretended to be his own son and then his own grandson. So he's like Victor Timely Jr. and then like Victor, Victor Timely the third. Um, so anyway, so they see him and you can see kind of like the fear in Loki's eyes during his presentation. And, you know, likely that's going to tie in as well. Um, and yeah, so that's obviously going to tie into a future MCU show with the upcoming Loki season. Um, but in general, like this is the multiverse phase, right? Like we are beginning to play with multiverses and it opens the door. You know, I think I was really excited for Multiverse of Madness when it came out because I thought, you know, that was going to be the opportunity to really throw the doors open and bring in all these different variants of characters, et cetera. And it didn't turn out to be that way. And that's okay. I think this is what's really doing that, right? The introduction of Kang, the even more formal acceptance of the multiverses and the opportunities. If they're, you know, now that they are basically out in the open showing all these various Kangs, we are going to see out in the open, all of the various Thors, all of the various Ant-Mans, all the various, you know, Spider-Men, all the various, you know, which you already did get some of right in, uh, in, in no way home. So, so I think just in general, Kang's narrative is opening the doors to bring in more variants and Avenger teams from other universes to really start um, mucking things up in the, in 616. I am very excited to see how all of the Kangs are going to affect the, the various multiverses and, and timelines. And I, I really enjoyed the thought process of Ant-Man of Scott Lang at the end of the film, like, wait, we beat him, right? Like it's over and kind of going on with his day. And then it, it coming back to him again of wait, he said that he was the one stopping all this bad stuff from happening. And so now is the bad stuff going to happen? And the answer is, yeah, a lot of bad stuff is headed the way of our MCU heroes. And they might end up even having to go get the other Kang at some point to help defeat them because he really was trying to terminate these timelines that were about to cause incursions and destroying all of reality. So yeah, in a way he was being the villain to be the quote unquote hero. Right. Um, but we know that Kang really, all Kang wants is to be the best. That's his whole thing. He just wants to be the best. And so being the one that molds the multiverse is kind of right in his wheelhouse. Yeah. Uh, and I just, I, I think I could just kind of wish the movie ended on more of a fearful note yeah. rather than ending on that, like, nah, let's throw that thought away. We're okay. Yeah. And then it ends. Yeah. I wish it had ended on a somber note of, wait, what have we done? Yeah. Boom. Or, yeah. Or like the, at the end of that, when he's like, you know, happy birthday, Cassie or whatever. And then like. Yeah, some sort of cut, maybe not even him thinking, like not even Scott, like thinking the the thought, but literally like cutting to a Kang variant walking, you know, outside right. or something, right? Just to be like, you know, no, not not all is good in the hood. Um, so, yeah, I I don't know why it struck me. Just I wanted to before we wrap up, I wanted to revisit something that you had said earlier. If this movie was turned into a comic book to put on the stands today. 
how it would be probably one of the like coolest Ant-Man comics like you've ever read. And I was thinking about it and I, and I agree. And it also made me think like those mid credit and Ed credit scenes. Like I imagine them now in, in the context of like a cliffhanger panel, you know? So yeah. like from now on, I'm just going to be thinking about it like that, right? Like you get to the end of the comic book film and you're turning, you turn the page to the very last thing and you're like, Oh, like, this is an arena of Kane. Yeah, the arena of Kane. That's that's precisely that is precisely how I could see a comic like that ending to be like, oh, this is this is some big deal. Yeah, to like the next arc of whatever that that comic run would be. So very cool, exciting stuff. Super exciting. Well, we have shared our thoughts about Ant Man and the Wasp: Quantum Mania. Let us know your thoughts. Email us over at comicbookkeepers at gmail.com you can message us on our social medias on instagram or on twitter at cbkcast be sure to go uh, check out all the awesome geeky things that are happening over on thegeeklygrind.com where jeremy runs that whole that entire website <laughs> yes come and see us say hi uh, we are we are planning uh, myself and lance actually are planning some WonderCon coverage next month as well Um, So that'll be a lot of fun. Um, And, you know, just generally covering all the latest and greatest. Uh, I think actually when this episode goes live, uh, if you are a Dungeons and Dragons fan, we have a giveaway going on right now for the latest Dungeons and Dragons module. Um, So if there's any overlap there, uh, you can check out our Twitter page and and, uh, like and retweet to enter that giveaway. Um, But otherwise, come on down to the Geekly Grind. Escape your weekly grind. At the Geekly Grind. That's true. And we will be sure to drop the social media links for the Geekly Grind down below so you can enter that contest. Well, it's time to close the book on this movie review of Ant-Man and the Wasp Quantumania. So until next time, this is Lance. And Jeremy. Reminding you to keep your friends close. Put your comic books closer. Mm-hmm.